Welcome to Have You Seen This, the podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten cinema. All discussions will be spoiler heavy. You have been warned. This is Jennifer Albright. I'm here with Paul J. Hi. He's a local comedian. Sure. Uh, <laughs> raconteur, fun maker. <laughs> raconteur. Time waster, space filler. Come, come see my one man show about uh, Mark Twain. It's great. Yeah, we we've got something today which um, is not out on home media. Although the filmmaker has said he's okay with people sharing it as long as they don't make money from it. And so um, it can be viewed on YouTube or archive.org. Today we're talking about The Wizard of Speed and Time. This is a movie that I had not seen since I was a kid. And I think my parents rented it for me because they knew how much I liked effects and animation and stop motion and stuff like that. All of which this movie is full of. Yeah, effects heavy is a phrase which kind of is almost... Inadequate. Yeah. Really, there are... Just effects everywhere. Pointless, weird, random effects that have nothing to do with anything. It's like when when the guy was editing this movie, anytime he thought a shot looked a little too boring or lingered on screen for more than four frames, he would add some kind of sparkle or lightning or fireball sort of effect. It's yeah, if you it's love, hard to explain. If you love optical effects... Yes. This is your jam. Yes, if you I know love you're out there. Composited in rotoscope animation <laughs> of the kind that was used to make the Emperor fry Luke Skywalker with lightning at the end of Return of the Jedi. This is the made in your own garage version of that virtually all through this movie. It's so fascinating. What so, so yeah, I guess we should explain what the hell it is. Yeah, and um, you there's like a weird connection between you and this movie because I the the filmmaker is a guy named Mike Jitlov, um, and I'm pretty sure he still lives in your old neighborhood in the Silver Lake and, area. Yeah, yeah, and I think that the character in the movie who is just this guy, this guy just the movie is about Mike Jitlov trying to get a movie made that he already made, which is confusing. He made a short film called The Wizard of Speed and Time that came out in, in 1979, I think. And then 10 years later, he got this feature film finished about how hard it was to make the first film. Yeah. As far as I can tell, that's the entire story. It's a very farcical, goofed up, Pee-wee Hermaned out version of like the Ed Wood story, basically. Just, just like, this is this is a movie this is a tiny movie that cost four dollars and it was still this difficult to make here's why it was so difficult it's it it, in the guise of a whimsical special effects celebration of movie making is this bitter jaundiced (laughs) angry portrayal of all the things that drove this guy nuts when he was trying to get the movie made. It's, it's uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like I kind of feel like an asshole talking about this movie this way because it, it is it is a weird combination of 
genuinely heartfelt, adorable love letter to the movie making process, while at the same time being almost completely unwatchable. It is. <laughs> I really had a hard time getting through this. I, I, I mean, part of the problem was I started watching it last night after my wife went to bed, and I started watching it at quarter to midnight. Well, the, can you give us um? And you did this earlier, and it was really easy. Um, can you give us, I guess, basically the long log line or the the summary? It's about he is trying to get a spot in some kind of TV special about Hollywood's greatest special effects, and so he wants to make a film to put in that. And so he he goes to his studio to try and get financing for it, and unbeknownst to him. That one of the studio execs makes a bet with the other one that Mike Jitlov will never finish his his will never come up with anything useful for them, and so naturally the exec that bet against him starts starts sabotaging his filmmaking process at every turn, and so that's that's the kind of through line of the movie is he's he's trying to make this movie and forces are conspiring against him presumably Jewish forces <laughs> to uh, interfere with the production of his his labor of love and the, the end of the movie is him successfully getting the studio executives to stop interfering and to give him his money and to let him finish the film and show it on TV and it's great and and apparently film it. executives have piles of time to interfere, interfere <laughs> with the workings right. of independent filmmakers right right because that's the thing that that's the thing that they give a fuck about executives don't have you know meetings to go to <laughs> or anything or you know lunches other movies to supervise we're never given any hint that these guys have other projects going on like how much was to... i don't remember how much was the bet was there enough riding on I it i think that... it was like 25 grand which is a lot in 1983 through 1989 dollars so <laughs> probably worth the trouble i guess but still not a thing any studio executive has ever actually done with any other studio executive that i've ever heard about if they do this sort of thing they keep it in their private eyes wide shut like clubs that they all go to to fuck each other and we never hear about it i assume i assume that i assume they would spend more time fucking each other than trying to fuck independent filmmakers right that seems like that but then you don't don't, there's no movie there yeah but you know fine so like it the movie does inhabit a whimsical world all its own fine like you know you you have a film with a particular like feel and tone you're like okay well i'll roll with it if it's good and it's not to say that there is there aren't things to see in this movie there aren't that's not to say there aren't things that are impressive in it um one of the things that you pointed out was a shot near the end where he gets thrown in a pool and then they just don't cut away that that is for minutes on end yeah i wanted to talk about that because it is by several orders of magnitude the longest single shot in the movie and it it's the only apparent point to it is to show how long mike jitloff can hold his breath underwater because he gets thrown in the pool yeah like you said he gets thrown in the pool you can see him in the pool He's just sitting at the bottom of the pool. Well, this this funny conversation is going on. An extremely hilarious ADR conversation about how they're going to get him out of the pool and whether they should pay him his money, which is why he came to this pool party and yelled at the executive who then had him thrown into the pool. And it's just the shot just hangs there for like three minutes. And it's like, did he sneak an air hose down there? Yeah, because you're thinking like, how did they? And I, I would have to go back and look at it to see because I remember there's a a match on action when he gets thrown into the pool. Is and it then him? There's a cut. Is it actually him? There's a cut where, um, like, because there's the shot of him. He's like at the bottom of the pool, 
and there's a cut to someone else in the crowd. That's near the end. That's right before he swims. Yes, out. and then they cut back, and he he moves and he swims yeah. out of the pool. So, so yeah, I hadn't I hadn't actually thought to check if that was actually him getting thrown into the pool in that shot. And I'm like, okay, like I'm impressed. Honest, honestly, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if that was really him, and he decided let's throw this in here. No, I, this it is also a thing me. that I can do. Yeah, like look I, at this cool thing that I can do. Is, my, the, is the the subtext of everything in this movie is look at this cool thing that I did, but that's it. He seem he seems like the kind of guy who would learn through hours of practice that he can hold his breath for a long time, because um, like everything about this guy says close up magic. <laughs> serious fan <laughs> serious devotee of close-up magic is what he would have gotten into if he had not discovered animation just watching this like it's pretty obvious that um Jitlove probably grew up watching a lot of like silent comedies and buster keaton and absolutely you know the, but they're the cop characters who are dressed like keystone cops yeah they're wearing keystone cop hats and they are the most over-the-top farcical characters in the movie, which Straight is really, off of Max Sennett really saying something. comedy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just, just like they do everything, but like hang off the sides of their cop car and wave billy clubs in the air. And the one guy has like a, things. like a Canadian accent for some reason. Well, they're both doing crazy accents. One guy's doing a crazy Mexican accent, which I've never just, I've never heard anybody talk like <laughs> in my life. It's just a cartoonish Mexican accent. And the other guy is, is doing strange brew. He's doing a strange brew voice. Because it's funny. Because it is, right? That was a current thing. It's one during one of the years in which this movie was being produced. Oh, yeah, because this came out in about, I want to say, 87? 80. Well, I, I saw a couple of different dates for it. Uh, 89 was the date that I saw the most often. I, so it was, either, it was either 88 or 89. And, okay. Yeah. And I, you know, I know, I know this is going to come as a complete surprise, but... I kind of feel like maybe this movie had a very protracted production period and maybe came out several years after its actual inception. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would not and that's be not all even, surprised. That's not even just because of like the insane stop motion effects, which like they I, I can't imagine how long those took. Well, this this has all the earmarks of a movie that was shot on weekends with the director's friends doing everything this is this is one of those movies that but uh my, my friends my wife and my our friends got obsessed a few years ago with like direct to video christian films that oh we well would that's see, that's that a we great thing see. to be obsessed with well they, they would pop up on netflix sometimes and some some of them were just garbage but some of them were beyond garbage to a into a place into of goodness a, just a, well just a place of fascination and one thing we kept noticing is that these movies would credit their extras individually by name because a lot of them had probably contributed money and or time and been paid in credit with a credited extra work Isn't spot. That and this movie does that too. There's a whole chunk of the credits that are just like and also appearing and it's like his parents and just a bunch of randos. Because it's, yeah, yeah, it's individual credits for a lot of non-speaking parts in this movie. That's and so, that's yeah, so, so cute. Like a time when you could get like paid in credit. Yeah. Like I think, I think I would spit in the eye of anyone who tried to pay me in credit these days. 
I can't eat. I'm over 35 yeah. and I've freelanced. No, yeah, no. Pay me fucking standard SAG extra rate, you, you son of a bitch. Fucking pay me. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we you, a movie that was probably shot on whatever days everybody was free, you know. So how many years does that take to shoot a feature-length film with at least some synchronized sound in it and some real actors who have other commitments and yeah I, I i didn't look up how long this took to make i don't know if you're looking it up right now but i wouldn't be at all surprised if it took like four years to no shoot, it to shoot all this stuff yeah no it wouldn't just surprise me just at all. to shoot it just to shoot it not even to because oh, we were noticing when we, when we were skipping around before we started recording that there are wildly divergent movies playing at the Chinese depending on when he's driving past it yeah it's, it's either Star Wars or the right stuff <laughs> yeah which are a few a years few years apart apart yeah uh, I, uh, yeah it, yeah I also love that um, Hollywood and I, mean, I I don't mean the the concept of Hollywood I mean Hollywood proper the physical location in Los Angeles is kind of this uh, in spite of all his uh, resentment and bitterness, it, Hollywood itself is this kind of like magical wonderland of fun stuff. And I'm like, have you fucking been to Hollywood? <laughs> yeah. Mm. It was not in, in the mid 80s. Hollywood it was even worse. Even, yeah, it was way, way worse. It's I, like, yeah, let's go to the Playboy liquor store and then get stabbed by a hobo. You guys want to go to the Cinerama Dome and maybe get sexually assaulted in the parking lot? <laughs> Does that sound like fun? And yeah, back when he was filming this, it would have been even more so. Like deep time square era kind of stuff. Yeah, and the thing is, like, ho- even even today, Hollywood is like not good. Like the... Yeah. The, um, it's touristy. The violent place. crime rate is still like pretty high. And like, yeah. you know... Cr- Violent crime in LA like isn't as bad as it once was. So well, it's it's weird that for a movie that is that is so bitter and angry about so many things about the entertainment industry, it it does have this kind of rosy touristy goofiness whenever he's just wandering around the streets of Hollywood or riding which is like Pee Wee Herman's bike the around. Most yeah yeah. And then there's weird stuff like, uh, and I completely forgotten about it because I I remember the movie being kind of like you know a kiddie movie, you know yeah. Um, and I remembered the central romance being like exceptionally chaste, um, but then there are weird gags like well, like when he first meets her in the elevator, and mm-hmm. she had applauded for him in traffic earlier, and she says to him, "Oh, remember I gave you the clap," and everybody <gasps> shocked. And then there's a weird interlude where he has a run in with a with a mean secretary. And then there's an insert shot of her doing BDSM with somebody in the office. Yeah, yeah, no idea what that was about. If he read her mind or something. And because she, she's like, "How did you know about that?" And I'm like, "How do we know about that?" The thing I want to ask you is like, "How did you feel about this movie as a kid?" I remember liking it. I remember, I remember really enjoying it. And I think it's part, part like the pace and shrillness are not annoying to a kid that they would be in the way that they would be to an adult. I, th- I think it was it's very much of the stop motion in this movie is very much of the kind of um, spoonful of sugar school uh, of stop motion animation where it's happening in a live action scene. Yes. Like there's a lot of like bed knobs and broomsticks kind of kind of effects. Uh, and I, I, I loved that kind of stuff. And I still think it's like charming, but there better be a reason that it's happening (laughs) i can't i'm a grown man i can't watch a whole movie i can't watch an hour and a half of a movie just to be dazzled by individual effects in individual shots the way the way yeah when when i was a kid it it was it was just 
hilarious to me that that an entire movie went by and every sh- shot almost had some weird little effects gag in it but i watch it now and it just it doesn't it's kind of grating yeah oh it gets very grating very quickly it it like it doesn't parcel out the whimsy at all it just hits you with this fucking fire hose of whimsy and you have no time to absorb anything yeah like when you meet him it's like oh he lives in he lives in a house with all kinds of like mechanical toys like whirring and marching constantly and there's all the the time and then there's a random shot where um they do this huge zoom into a page full of like micrographic writing Like, yeah. just the size of a rice We're, grain, and it's like, what? Wh- yeah. Like, what else does this guy do? Well, that was, that was like, an, <laughs> un, one of those unintentional, like, oh, you didn't mean to give us this much of a look into your personal uh, process, because the only thing I could hey think guys, of... Hey, guys, I figured out I can write really small! The only thing I could think of when I saw that shot was in the movie Crumb, when they look at his brother's writing, and it got more and more crabbed and tiny until it's finally just a series of horizontal lines on a page because it was all he had room to write because he was losing his fucking mind. And yeah, this, yeah, this guy's like the Henry Darger of filmmaking. Oh, it really seems that way, doesn't it? He's he's probably got a few more friends than Henry Darger. <laughs> but, but ultimately, yes, one day he's going to die under a pile of old film cans that fall on his elderly body and they're going to find all of these movies that he made that no one's ever seen. Um yeah, it's it's, stra- it's strange. I I felt I feel conflicted talking about it. and I felt conflicted about the way I was reacting to it when I was watching it because, like, I I, I sympathize with so many of the things that he's trying to say about um, art versus commerce and how hard it is to yes. make good art and get get a personal vision of any kind through the system. And this was a time when you literally had no other choice. Yeah. This was an analog age where you made movies with analog equipment, clunky ass film cameras and sound equipment and everything on top of all the effects stuff you're doing. And if you wanted to get it seen by people, you had to make nice to a distributor or a studio or something. Yep. Yep. That was, yeah, what I kept, yeah, like what you said about the YouTube generation. Just in, just every single part of this movie would like not have been a thing if he made it today. Yes. Like, like you, you don't have to buy film stock. You can shoot beautiful, you can shoot a goddamn entire movie on your phone or stop motion settings on your phone. If you want to make stop motion with your phone, you can do that. Uh, you don't have to, get a distributor you just open a vimeo account and jump on there and it just, yeah it really makes me wonder what this guy would have would have been able to pull off if he'd if he'd come along in an era where not all of his energy was spent railing against the system in which he was trying to work because that, that really is the only message of this movie is yeah because i think at the why point, was it so hard for me to make this movie is like the, the moral of the story yeah the point where the we see the sign for the infernal revenue service i think i was like okay we get it you don't want to be a part of human society <laughs> you're not into this whole idea okay fine you don't want to you don't like uh double taxation or whatever you want to throw a bunch of film cans into boston harbor i get it yeah and it's it's you know and like not to say that, you know, that things like, you know, that the government can be unfair, the tax system can be unfair, um, you know, unions can overreach somewhat. Yes, those those things can be true. 
But honestly, I don't think this guy would be happy with like any kind of uh, any kind of adult supervision at all. Yeah, like, pretty much. Any, pretty much. Any kind of being beholden to anybody. It seems. It seems like it. It all really grates on him. He's and he seems like why can't. Yeah, why can't this whole system just get out of my way and let me make a movie? And back then, I mean, the answer was this system was set up to keep people from getting brutally fucked over by the entertainment industry. And it only kind of works a right. lot of the time, but it works a hell of a lot better than it did back when, you know, <clears throat> actors were signed to studio contracts for seven years um, and there was no union of any kind for anybody to get anybody any kind of protection for anything and yeah it's like i I know this i know this chafes at your libertarian soul but it's like this is how you this is how it works a lot of fedoras are being angrily thrown on the floor right now yeah oh god i feel like such a dad being like well life isn't fair But it fucking isn't. One one thing I kept thinking over and over again watching this is how perfect, how, how much more of a example of the auteur theory a yes. terrible no budget movie can be than a large budget movie with a large number of talented people all collaborating on it. This is clearly a movie that was made because this one dude wanted to make this movie and say these specific things in it and he may have created a more comprehensive and deeply psychologically probing portrait of his own weird obsessions with certain things than he may have even intended to and it's fascinating to watch like we we were just flipping around before we started recording and there's this whole long terry gilliam-esque uh farcical sequence where he he's trying to figure out which guilds he needs to join to get a movie made there's all this anti-union sentiment all yeah and um i hadn't i hadn't seen the movie in like probably five years or more but the part that i the sequence that I remembered was this part of him like going around to the different um, film unions in town and like trying to get the movie made and them just saying like, oh no, you need to have this much uh, camera work experience. You have to pay these fees and you have to fill this out and you have to have done this. And then, you know, when he says he doesn't have that, they just send him to the next place. And, uh, and at the time, like it really struck me. I was like, wow, this guy really, really, really fucking hates unions. Yeah. Like re- with every really, fiber of his being. really does. Uh, yeah. It's just like such a weird thing because it's like a journey into a time when the, the difficulties of making movies are completely different than they are today. Like, I couldn't help but think the whole time, like, where would this guy be if he had been alive during the YouTube era? Like, would that have cleared the way for him that significantly? Was, that was, well, I kept thinking about that, just just watching the movie and looking at the general tone and pace and everything. And I remember watching this, my, my parent, like I, I think I said, my mom rented this for me when I was a kid, when I was like 13. And I don't remember it being as shrill and off-putting and blindingly paced and confusing as it was when I watched it as a grown-up. And I, I really wonder if this guy could have been the, like, Fred of his time. Just, just <laughs> like, like yeah, kids kids can watch this because kids don't 
kids don't notice how irritating it is or there's some there's something about the, the pace that doesn't bother children that does bother adults yeah because i feel that way about um terry gilliam's film uh, adventures of baron munchausen oh yes it's absolutely i used to love that movie yes. and i try to watch it now goonies is also the same way. I try, try to watch Goonies as an adult, and I'm like, this is just people are just screaming over each other. It's just yelling. It's just yeah. Because for yelling. me, with with Baron Munchausen, like by the time they get to Robin Williams's part, I'm just I'm done. I can't. Yeah, I like, can't do it anymore. Like, I can't. I'm spent. Oh, yeah. and now Robin Williams is here, and he's gonna he's on even more coke than the rest of his movies. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ. Yeah, and this this movie kind of has the same. Uh, and I feel like um, really for Mike Shitlove, like the be all end all of filmmaking is I think the process. And also to agree, like getting the recognition for like, look at this neat thing I made. I made it. Mike Chitlove. Mm-hmm. Me. It really seems. Here's my name. Seems... I wrote my name on the fucking moon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> With a laser. I did it. It's me. I did it all myself or as much of it as I could get away with. I am the main guy in it, involved in it. Um, I star in it, even yeah. though I am not yeah. a natural star. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> if this guy was going to be cast in something he would be like a guy in a lab coat in a marvel movie who's like we're overloading the reactor that's like his only line (laughs) well he wears he wears the same colors as dr clayton forrester he does oh god and apparently he made the rounds of conventions in the same green jacket and green shoes also he doesn't shake hands he's like steve howe of yes i don't know anything about any of the members of Yes, <laughs> so I'll have to take your word on that. That's but. for about two of my listeners, which is probably 50% of my <laughs> listeners. Um, you forgot the Basically. part where he's this weird, bug-eyed, uh, elven, uh, oh, yeah. also autistic he's, genius. Also he's, also, he's a demon whose eyes glow when <laughs> he's excited. And, yeah, I don't know how to explain this movie to people. Like, I, I remember trying to describe it years ago to someone like when we were talking about weird special effects heavy movies we'd seen when we were kids and I tried to explain this movie to somebody I'm like it's about a guy who does effects and it's just a movie about about how he does effects but it also has a bunch of the effects in it and, and it's got a bunch of really broad uh, Hollywood stereotypes in it just, like cigar chomping Jewish uh, oh yeah that was studio that, that was a thing, that was a thing. I was, was like a, wow two scenes in the movie where there's this studio executive with is this wrist thick Yiddish accent <laughs> that makes me just wonder like does this guy have some weird is this just some, one of those things where it's like oh is the humorous style of the time or does this guy have a weird problem with Jews and I don't feel like yeah because he's is he calling doing him like, up to ask him but no uh, is he is he doing like a, a Louis B Mayer thing or is he just like well you know they run Hollywood yeah, I'm just saying I'm just saying I'm just saying I don't know I mean technically yes they do but <laughs> There's he not can, he can say that because he's not half Jewish. That there's anything wrong with that because I'm half Jewish, so I stand to inherit at least a portion of the mayor gold. fortune. One gold. <laughs> Jews own the entertainment industry, and they make sure they are paid in solid gold. Solid gold Krugerrands, yeah. baby. Um, hopefully, this isn't the only part of the podcast you're listening to, and you listen to the other parts where we explain that we're just making we're just making fun of this movie. Oh, I didn't mention <laughs> to you where we were going to talk about the protocols of the elders of Zion. Oh shit! And how it's all totally true. Oh my god, I always suspected, but I never knew for sure. This is what. For more about a Hamas chapter <laughs> in your neighborhood, 
please go to <laughs> for more anti-semitism please <laughs> consult oh lots of the internet vast <laughs> portions of the internet that's true. just if you need your daily dose of anti-semitism just go to any youtube comment section yeah yeah i mean probably the comment section of this very podcast will have plenty Probably. to peruse if i if my previous experiences are any judge uh, <laughs> but anyway so um so basically it's a hard it's a hard movie to summarize it's very it's very thin on plot let's put it that way uh and it's so it's so like so many it does so many things wrong that that you can do in a movie like i said the pace is so weirdly accelerated yeah what are some of the other things that you feel didn't work about the movie just most of the things. <laughs> just the vast majority of the, the like. It, do you do you like know his uh, kind of bio at all? Should not, we like go over it? Not really. Yeah. Um. Sum it up. Well, to keep it fairly short and sweet, um, he was a math major at UCLA, um, and then got into animation and stop motion animation. Made his own short films. Uh, long story short, eventually he ended up working for Disney, making kind of like um, interstitial films. But he came up against the Disney Corporation because I gather he wanted his name on his shorts. But they're like, no, no, like you know, you, we we don't credit the individual creators, like you know. So I think I think he ended up sneaking his name onto um, props in in the shorts. So and I know again. Hard to believe you've seen the movie, but you kind of get the impression this guy might be a little bit single-minded and difficult to work with. Yeah, yeah. I uh, mean, preternaturally talented. Like, the guy is ridiculously talented, but it's that point where talent kind of, like, slides into an unworkable eccentricity. That sounds really unkind, but... I w it would sound really unkind if I didn't know so many people that fit that description. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to be it's hard to be super creative which you need to be when you're working in film and super collaborative which yes. you also need to be you you got one guy can't do everything I sympathize to a degree because you know like as a creative person you know you want to do your thing you want to be recognized for it um but <laughs> well that's what I what I, when I was talking before about the auteur theory like this is the way the auteur theory really works is when you are the only person who wants to work on whatever the thing is yeah and uh, you have total control because there's almost nothing to control because you you can really you can really oversee every aspect of a movie that's being made for four dollars in a much easier way the, the year this the year this came out like 1989 that didn't even register with me for a second until I remembered like that that was one of the biggest box office years ever up until that point it was like a record breaking really? summer and I went I went to look up like what oh yeah a lot of shit came out in 1989 because the look of this movie is not 1989 the look of this movie is like 70s television yeah because like, it's like it's like shot in 16 yeah it's and it's like, yeah it's yeah. like shot on 16 millimeter it's it's almost all natural light shot outside on the the smoggy ass streets of yeah. Sherman Oaks or wherever the hell they are, Hollywood, just just all the most the most kind of anonymous LA places, a, a lot of it, and and I had to I had to really make an effort in my head to remember oh 1989 is when Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade came out and Turner and Hooch. Bat <laughs> 
Well, I was going to say Batman. Tim Burton. <laughs> oh, Tim Burton's Batman. Come a see, come a saw. But on, like Lethal Weapon 2 and Back to the Future 2 and just, just some huge ass movies. And I, I, when we got done, when I got done watching this last night, I actually threw on Last Crusade to, to remember. <laughs> to like, cleanse the palate. Well, it was like, oh, oh yeah, this is, <laughs> this is why movies cost so much because if you don't put money into them, you get something that looks like the Wizard of Speed and Time. Aww. It's mean, but it's true. It's like, oh, man, some people can do a lot with a little, but it's very, very difficult, especially with, like, I, I, I don't know. I, I there's There are things that this director does really well, and there are things that he does not seem to take any interest in at all. The pace of this movie is so weird. It's I really want to talk about, like, how f- how fast no- nothing in this movie not a joke or a shot or a- an effect or a line of dialogue is given room to breathe of yeah it feels kind. like the cameraman is just cranking it's silent movie overcranked, even when it's not yes which is hella, a hella weird effect for a film to be going for I think I think a lot of it is a lot of it actually is overcranked, and then they ADR the dialogue in later no there's a there's a shitload of ADR yeah. like I don't uh, like I I don't know if there was even really sync sound in this one. There's a little bit. It's wildly outnumbered by the hilariously obvious ADR that's in almost every scene. I mean, on almost every character. I feel like that could have been because you know it's like, hey, let's just let's do it Italian style. We'll just like shoot it and then like ADR it later. You know, yeah. Because you don't have to fuck with a you know the recorder. Hey, you don't have to have a boom operator because who needs his dumbass on the set? that much less money that we have to pay out that much less of a person that I have to tell what to do I didn't even think of that like Italian style kung fu style yes that's probably that's probably how they made most of this movie there there are yes. some scenes there are scenes with sync sound but they're they're way outnumbered and like because he's he's an animator and he's used to shooting without sound and adding all of the sound later that's true uh yeah, yeah. because his um well I mean and also we all know people who have a real affinity they have the engineer's brain which is a real affinity for working with objects and um yeah mechanical things and not so much an affinity with people right i mean you know just look at the obligatory shoehorned in romance in this movie yeah which ends with like i remember the the, that was the only other thing i remembered when i watched uh from the first time i watched it was you know i remembered the union bit and then i remembered the super awkward kiss at the end because i was like i was almost like cringing when they're about to kiss because the romance in this movie was so chaste and weird and he's such a weird seeming guy he's a very strange guy he really he really since the internet has come along i have met many more guys like him who are like confused that the that emotions are complicated and don't know why everyone can't just get on board with math and science and Just a very, I picture this dude as being a, a borderline men's rights activist sort of dude, not even based on in, on much of anything in this movie, really, but just, just that's how disconnected from human emotion he seems. Well, also, don't forget how much he, I remember I turned to you when we were reviewing a little bit of the movie and I said, I am shocked, shocked that he has a bone to pick with the Internal Revenue Service. <laughs> Um, the other thing, the other thing about this guy is that um, you can go look at his website, which uh, a lot of the, it isn't that the links, a lot of the links seem to be inactive. It's like he seems to have like taken a lot of them down, 
because a lot of them were just it's it's super like 1996 style website you know on like the the star field and with like all neon text oh, such and a, just everything is like center aligned such geocities website yeah and oh, um what is it Wizworld? yes Wizworld.com. um you can see for yourself he's got his home address and phone number on it um, and he would really like to hear from you if you were a tall Nordic blonde. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because oh, that's what everyone wants to see when they're checking out your website to see if they want to hire you for anything. Because is, I remember... Are you looking yeah. for love also? Yeah, because it's got a lot of like, oh, this is what I do. This is... Here's um, some old wardrobe pieces I'm selling. Oh, by the way, like, I'm also looking for love. Ladies, if you're from a Scandinavian country, <laughs> you know... Um, very strange very yeah. strange indeed and, unfortunately, and that is a, that is exactly the way a guy like this goes about finding a relationship on the internet that is so to a t what i would have i would have guessed that i would find on this guy's website I wonder before if he, even looking i wonder if anyone like ever responded to it like any women or if he just got like fanboys like knocking on his door at all out, odd hours Hey man, I really enjoyed the editing that you like. How how many frames did it take? This to movie, it really, the, it really spoke to me because really um, spoke to me. I'm uh, you know, I'm 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 creative too. Um, I write my own um tabletop um role playing <laughs> games, and um, I uh, you know, I brought my portfolio. I wrote a multi-user dungeon that no one wants to play but me. <laughs> I thought maybe you could. I, I would love to know what kind of stories this dude wanted to tell that he was not able to tell that he got so obsessed with just this one particular story to the he did um else. he did make a lot of short films which um have you watched any of them because I only watched the original short film the Wizard of Speed and time yeah I have not I've seen his uh his interstitial segment for Disney which was like kind of like a Mickey satellite head which actually ran on the disney channel for many years oh funny oh yeah that shows up in this movie yes i i didn't realize that i'm sure the a, disney was corporation thing. was happy about that oh yeah no <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that's not the reason you can't find this movie available on legal home video anywhere. <laughs> but again you can see it if you must see it it is online um you can visit the director's uh, page wizworld.com um it also is available for rent at Cinephile Video yeah, on Santa Monica Boulevard in West L.A. Big plug for Cinephile. <laughs> well, I have, to, I have to give the shout out to Cinephile because um, I was able to rent a random ass Dutch horror movie that my friend Eve come wanted to watch for one of our episodes. So, Video stores are like record stores. Only the very, very coolest ones are left. Exactly. So be good, be good to them. <laughs> but, we uh, need them out there somewhere. Agreed. But um, anything else you want to say about Wizard of Speed and Time? Oh, uh, I think, I think you should. I think you should watch it, or at least try to watch it, because, like we've said about a hundred times in this podcast, it really is the uh, window into one man's mind and concerns in a way that feature films usually do not get to be. And for that, if for no other reason, it's a fucking fascinating document, and uh, a document, and a and a document of a time before the internet and before filmmaking was as technically easy as it is to do today and before computers were a thing really and just just a real just a real trip back to another type of movie making for better or worse 
And I, th- yeah, I think it's worth watching. And uh, I, I mean, like I said, his phone number's on his website. I would call him for comment, but I'm a little bit afraid of him. <laughs> I do not know how that would go. <laughs> it seems, seems like that would go either really good or really bad. Mind boggles. Mind boggles.